Hello and welcome to Sounds from the Shelves. I'm Mika. I'm Sarah. And I'm Lee. And today we're talking to lots of people. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so we are talking to a bunch of people who work in the library system here who have been published in one manner or another. We're starting with the lovely AJ. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm AJ Irving. I am a picture book author and an LA in the Salt Lake County uh, Jail Libraries. You may not know this, people, but we do, in (laughs) fact, have a library in the county jail that we lend books to the inmates there. And I'm very passionate about everyone having access to books, so it's a perfect fit for me. I love it so much. Very nice. So... Tell us about what you've had published. Well, my debut, Dance Like a Leaf, is a picture book illustrated by Claudia Navarro. And it was inspired by my relationship with my grandma, Jean. And it is essentially about how our loved ones never truly leave us because they live on in our hearts, memories, and traditions. And my second picture book, The Wishing Flower, uh, illustrated by Kip Alizade, is inspired by my first crush in elementary school. Um, I call that book my queer girl picture book of my heart. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, And both those books are available in the county library system. So go check them out. (laughs) And we'll we'll put all the books we talk about today in the show notes so you don't have Mm -hmm. to remember them because there will be a lot, I'm sure. Yes. Um, So what inspired you to get started with writing? Well, my childhood dream was to be a writer, um, but I changed my mind a lot over the years (laughs) about the kind of writing that I wanted to do. And I really discovered my true passion after I became a mother and I fell in love with Kid Lit all over again because I was reading a lot of picture books to my son. And I said to myself, I just have to do this. And that was 15 years ago. So it's been a lot of years of rejection, lots and lots and lots of rejection. <laughs> do you do you have a wall of rejection letters? I, like a lot of- I save them, but I don't hang them up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have some friends that frame them, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I could go that far. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, can you tell us about your creative process? You're slightly different because you do picture books and you work with somebody that does the illustration. So can you talk about that? Right. Um, well, first of all, I follow my muse 100%. I've never been one of those authors that you must write every day. Um, I, I just can't do that. I can't force myself. I just trust that the words will come will come to me and they always do. Um, when I'm in the zone, lines will just flow out of me and then I'll go several weeks without writing anything at all. But uh, probably the biggest question I get asked is, do you do the art for your books? No, I'm not an illustrator. I wish I was. Um, and, you know, the the process kind of varies from publishing house to publishing house. With Dance Like a Leaf, my debut, I wasn't included in the illustrator selection process, but I was for The Wishing Flower and my forthcoming book. That's pretty cool. Yeah, So cool. do you get to talk to the illustrators at all or? Generally not. Oh, no, I'll see first sketches mm-hmm. and then I'll see sketches with color and then I'll see final art. And that's always my favorite part of the process, seeing yeah. the art. So they get your text 
Right. And then they go from there. Right. And we oh. don't communicate with each other while they're illustrating. Okay. But then we come best buddies when the book comes out and we're pushing it on social media. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, from what I understand, because as a librarian, for some reason, you go to conferences and they have a lot of authors speak. Go figure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Having listened to a lot of children's authors talk about um, their experience with picture books, that seems to be a pretty, pretty common thing that. Yes. The, the publishing house just chooses your illustrator and goes, OK, here we go. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> but for The Wishing Flower, Kip was my number one choice. Nice. And I was so stoked they said yes, because I love the art so much. The art's really good in that book. I have a copy of it, and Aww, it's really cute. Thank you, Sam. Aww. So how do you market your work? Does the publishing house help? I know you mentioned you and the illustrator become friends talking about right. it and social media. What do you do? Well, my publishers do help with marketing pub and publicity. Um for the Wishing Flower, that's how I got featured in the Salt Lake Tribune and the Salt Lake City Weekly. But I think that nowadays there's so much more pressure on the author to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I have a website. Not yeah, really sure either. if people visit it very often, but it's out there if you want to check it out, ajirving.com. And then I'm pretty active on social media and I do online and in-person events the wishing flower launch party was it under the umbrella which was a lot of fun in fact i think i met sarah there so yeah social media some events this is my third podcast guys so i'm still you know getting used to it the best podcast yeah. <laughs> don't tell the others <laughs> so what was the process for getting your books published was it different like every single time and i know you said you have like one that's forthcoming well, I decided I wanted to go the traditional route, uh, so I felt the best chance of getting published was to sign with a literary agent, and after years of rejection, I signed with my agent, Jordan, in 2018, and then we sold um, Dance Like a Leaf like immediately after that, and then there was a big stretch of getting passes from editors until we sold The Wishing Flower. So once again, just a lot of rejection. I think I missed the second half of your question. I'm sorry. Oh, just like since you have like a new book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's like the process for that one? Has it changed from like your first book? Mm -hmm. uh, um, well, actually, my third one that was just announced in Publishers Weekly last month was an option manuscript. So the editor that bought The Wishing Flower got to see my next project before anybody else did. And she loved that one too. So she bought that one. And my agent was really surprised because the wishing flower wasn't even out yet. So they couldn't see sales mm -hmm. figures and yeah. stuff like that. That's a really big deal to like oh. have that trust. You know, like we mm -hmm. like this person, we like their work. Like let's get them for more. Yeah, she Heck she yeah, gets right on. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so you mentioned you have a forthcoming book. What can you tell us about that? Well, not a whole lot, except for um, it'll be out in the summer 2025. It's going to be illustrated by Cynthia Alonzo, and I had a video call with her. She lives in um, Berlin, but she's originally from Argentina, and she is brilliant, and she has so many amazing ideas for this book. But it's called The Bi Book, and it's an LGBTQ plus uh, lyrical concept book that explores words that start with the prefix bi. Oh, very cool. That. that sounds really amazing, and I can't wait. Thank you. 
What is like the hardest part about what you do as an author? The hardest part for sure is all the waiting. Everything in publishing takes forever. Forever. A lot Being of Being on submission, huh? I'm on submission yeah. right now to editors, so I've mm-hmm. got my fingers and toes crossed on that. But editors take forever to get back. Contract negotiations take forever once you sell something. Then, you know, illustrations take 18 months usually. Uh, just everything takes forever. Drives me bananas. All the waiting. <laughs> so I guess we should be a little kinder to our authors when they're, they're putting books out. Why isn't your next book out? Right? It's not my fault. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so what's the most rewarding part about being an author? Oh, reactions from the readers, yeah. for sure. At the launch party, the kiddos decorated their own wishing flowers and then wrote what they would wish for, which was the sweetest thing ever. And Claudia and I still get messages all the time about um, Dance Like a Leaf and how much that book has helped their families heal and go through the grieving process. And it just touches my heart when they reach out to me and they tag me in posts or send me private messages. That's readers. I love my readers. That's amazing. And like, that's the whole point about sharing your art is to connect people. And it helps with growth. It helps with healing. Um, I don't I've lost track of how many parents or caregivers come in and they're like, I need a book about this to help talk to my kids about that topic, you know, so yeah, keep doing the good work. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else that you want us to know about you, about your books? Uh, no. Not really. I was really nervous and you were all fabulous. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you've been an awesome guest. Thank you. So we're here with our next lovely, I mean, guest. (laughs) Her name is Alicia. Alicia, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Alicia Adamson, and I currently work at the library and as an LA, which is delightful. And I write fairy tale romance novels and publish those in my spare time. Very nice. I'm impressed. I'm like, in my spare time, I sleep. So <laughs> I definitely feel like a crazy person sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's what's like spare time like? Right. <laughs> You're like, writing is more important than sleep, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> I neither sleep nor write. Instead, I play video games. That sounds delightful. Or cross-stitch. <laughs> Those are like my two things. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> Tell us about your work. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, I write fairy tale romance. Um, the first book I published is called The Dark King and the Eternal Dance, and my friend actually is the one who encouraged me to write it. Um, she'd published before and she knew that I was writing. That's like how we became friends. We like bonded over mm-hmm. our love of writing. And uh, she was like telling me about this anthology she was a part of. And I was like, hold up. How are you a part of anthology? Like, <laughs> didn't you just publish your first book like not that long ago? And she's like, oh, yeah, well, I had this idea and I posted it online and I got all these authors to like join me. And she's telling me about it. And I was like, that sounds so cool. Like, I would like to do something like that. Kind of like 
you know, I wasn't really like serious. I was just like, you know, that sounds really cool. And she's like, you would? You should do it. And then I was like, wait a second. <laughs> wait, like I, I didn't commit to anything, did I? Like what just happened? Um, and so then I was like, I need to think about this. <laughs> and then I immediately like she told me some of the stories. Um, so everybody had a different fairy tale. So she told me all the fairy tales. She's like, I need to collect all the fairy tales. And so she told me all of the fairy tales that hadn't been done yet. And or the ones that had been anyways, either way. But I was like thinking about some of the ones that hadn't been done. And I immediately had three ideas and started writing it, one of them. And then I was like, I guess I'm doing this. So like one day, I can't remember if I called her or texted her. And I was like, OK, Cammie, I'm going to do it. And um, yeah, so that's how I kind of got started um, writing fairy tale romance. And that isn't even the genre I was writing. And I was writing young adult fantasy. Similar, but not exactly the same. Anyway. Very cool. <laughs> um, so you kind of already answered it, like what inspired you to get started, but what inspired you to get started just writing on your own? So I called myself the accidental author because I didn't know I liked writing. I'm dyslexic. And so actually like reading and writing was like horrifying as a child. I like threw books at my sister when um, I attempted to read. Great times, <laughs> my poor sister. Um, <laughs> I mean, anyways. that's what sisters are for, right? <laughs> Throw books at. Right? Definitely. <laughs> Sorry, Nikki. Um. <laughs> Steal books and clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I never thought of myself as a reader, really, um, until my sister decided, she's like, you can't hate reading because it's amazing. So she started reading to me, and my mom was amazing, and she started like helping me with these programs to help me with my dyslexia. Um, anyways, over the years, I discovered I loved reading, and um, I kind of like fiddled with writing in middle school because it was like the cool thing to do um, <laughs> with like my friends. I guess I had the nerdy cool friends, right? And I think we all did. Um. <laughs> I feel like right? everybody goes through a teen phase where they write, even if all they write is horrible emo poetry. Like yeah, right? everybody does it. <laughs> poetry is beautiful. Um, poetry is beautiful, but teenage angsty emo poetry uh -huh. is kind of terrible. <laughs> Just needs editing. It's fine. <laughs> it can make it lovely. No, what I wrote in middle school was horrifying, like you said. Like, we did like, it was totally like Harry Potter fanfic. Like my friend is like, we're going to have this notebook. It's Harry Potter fanfic. And we're going to like give it to everybody and everybody's going to write their little chunk. And it was like, guys, we need like a plan. We can't just like randomly write stuff. And nobody wanted to plan with me. So the notebook went around and then it died really fast because we had no actual plan. plan. Anyways, um, but what actually got me to write for real is when I was in um, my senior year of um, high school, I was in a humanities class and we were supposed to have a um, a myth, a creation myth for like mm -hmm. the class. And uh, we started writing it in the computer lab. And I was like, ah, I just, you know, five paragraph essay. I'm like, this sounds horrible. This is like a five paragraph essay. Because that's what's like <laughs> pounded into your brain in high school, right? That's all you know for writing is the five paragraph essay. And my friend's like, Alicia, just start with like a scene and go from there. And I was like, okay. And so I started picturing the scene and I started writing and then I was like, oh my gosh, this does not want to be a creation myth that's like really short. How do I make this short? And <laughs> so I was like actually really terrified to like make this a short story for my class. And then like my teacher's like, so we don't really have time to finish the myth. If you want to finish it for extra credit, you can, but we're going to cancel the assignment. And I'm silently celebrating because I don't have to force this to be something it doesn't want to be. Uh-huh. 
And um, that's when I discovered I actually really enjoyed writing. And that story is the story I was actually writing for like 13 years because I didn't know how to like finish anything. And <laughs> I feel that. I, I still have it. It's unfinished. <laughs> it's not the story I published. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what got me to realize that writing was delightful and I loved it. Um, I have a story. I, I tried to start writing during uh, NaNoWriMo. Um my character has been on the beach for probably almost 20 years now. Um, every once in a while, my coworker at that time will message me. He's like, is she still on the beach? I said, yes. She's just taking a really long vacation. Just a long vacation. Did you share it with your coworker then? Um, just the first like seven pages that I wrote. And then like my outline and my ideas for like um, just my draft, like outline draft. And he's like, I really want you to finish so I can read this. And I'm like, <laughs> she's still on the beach. <laughs> um, By the way, everyone who has done NaNoWriMo, we salute you. Yes. That's a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your creative process when you write? I mean, you're probably not doing the shared Noah <laughs> journal anymore, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was definitely an epic fail. Um, but I am really old school. I'm the only person I really know that writes everything by hand first. Um, oh, I do too. See, I do I'm too. not alone. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we can write it by hand together. Yes. Um, yeah, so I discovered that when I type, um, just like in high school, that like five paragraph essay and the need to be like perfect, like comes into my brain and you like see all those lines and you're like, oh, no, what about this and that? Oh, I could have worded that better. Like, yeah, I just can't turn off the editing brain when I'm typing. Right. Yep. So first I write everything by hand in little notebooks and my dad purchases those like cheapo no- notebooks during um school season back to school season oh yeah for like 10 to 5 cents I don't think they're that cheap anymore but they were at the time and we have like a whole box that's under my bed of those and I cut them in half so they fit my purse nice <laughs> so everybody's like what's your little notebook <laughs> like, really weird um so I write everything by hand and then when I finish the whole thing I read it and um once I read it through I type it all up it's just really my first edit so it's not it's not a dictated thing it, What's in my notebook is a mess. Like, I write notes in it. It, like, doesn't make sense. I cut things out. And I never, like, delete anything. I, like, just put a little bracket around it. And I write, like, notes in the margins. It's it's great. It's, it's a beautiful mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I give it to my editor. And I have um, beta readers and editors who um, help me. So Nice. Nice. You know, one of my favorite things that Neil Gaiman talks about all the time, if you don't know, Neil Gaiman is really active on Tumblr, mm-hmm. which is like the weirdest social media for people to still be really active on because <laughs> Tumblr is almost dead. But there are still people on there. There are still people <laughs> on there. Neil Gaiman is one of them. <laughs> um, one of the things he talks about a lot as an author is just like the the key to writing stuff is just getting something down on the page. And then once you have something there you can change it and fix it. But you have to have something before you can do anything with it. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's the key thing that I realized to publish my book. I remember I said I was writing for 13 years before I published anything. The reason is because I would like write it down and then I would type it up and try to make it beautiful. And I still didn't know how the thing ended. So I'm like wasting all this time like editing it and making it beautiful before I even have the story out. And it wasn't until I was like, no more editing. Everybody says that. but And I was like, oh, I'm not editing. I'm just dictating it. But it, it really wasn't the same. Um, 
And that's when I was finally able to finish something is when I got it out first and then I was able to edit it. Very nice. So what was the process for publishing for you? You were part of this anthology. Uh, Your friend pulled you in. You mentioned (laughs) that already. But what else happened? Yeah, so it was a really fun time because that's when I realized like my process of old was not going to work out so hot because um, 13 years I did not have. (laughs) I had about two years. Um, She told me in 2019 and um, we were supposed to publish in 2021. Um, We didn't know COVID was going to happen at the time, of course. Uh, So it was a fun time for all of us. But it was also nice because we got to message each other and like have friends Mm -hmm. during COVID. So that was awesome. But um, they kind of helped set things up. They told me what my who my cover artist was going to be like. I was like, sure. I don't. okay. (laughs) And then um, I actually found an editor um, who was my first editor and she edited it for me. And we had a miscommunication error because I'm horrible about like asking about things so I was like oh she knows what editing is this is great here you go and my friend Cammy, who's the one that pulled me in she was beta reading it for me and she's like um did you get like a developmental edit and I was like I guess I, I don't know <laughs> and it's just like so yeah I would recommend you get a developmental edit <laughs> Um, I was wise and I listened to her counsel. I did pay my first editor because she did edit for me and it was amazing, but it just wasn't the kind of edit I need. She did a copy edit, Mm -hmm. um, which is the last edit you do. And for those of you who don't know, you want to do developmental as your overall story-wide edit. And then you do kind of a line edit, which is like the line by line, making sure it flows well and you're you sound good and then the last edit is the copy edit make sure you've got your grammar right um so then i i finally edited it with another editor as well and then um so and then i had the cover artist and then what we did is since we were all together it was awesome they were telling me like okay this is when we're gonna upload our pre-order to amazon and my friend sat with me and helped me upload it to amazon and know the keywords to put in there it's like what is all of this (laughs) fun times um but i was really grateful to have my friend to kind of walk me through like the process of what to do um then we uploaded the pre-order and kind of like just started um doing the marketing bit um, together, which was super helpful to um, give my book like a boost. And yeah. <laughs> so um, for the marketing part, is that was that all on you and whoever was in the anthology? Or did you actually have like help with that? Yes and no. So okay. um, all of the authors in the anthology, we were all to market the book. Um, and we they had like specific, I can't remember all the specific things, but we had specific things. They're like, everybody needs to put out an email. And I'm like, I don't have an email list. <laughs> 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 Nobody yet. <laughs> but I did like the day I published my book was the first day I ever got on Instagram. And like, so I was doing a few things. I like, shot, I was like to everybody on Facebook, like, Hey, I wrote a book. Yay. And then I created like a, a Facebook page for my author page. And um, so we all were in charge of doing marketing. And then um, several of the other authors also um, have what is often called like a street team. And mm-hmm. these are or a shout team. And these are people who are excited to share about your new works. And um, so thank goodness for some of those amazing people, too, because they were like shouting about my book on social media that I wasn't even on yet. 
because <laughs> I didn't even know what this was. Um, so I was really lucky to have like a team of people who were all helping me um, market. But that is something that I do now myself is I, I now will have an email list of my own and I ha- have a team. I have a very small street team I'm hoping to build, but I do have a little bit of a street team and some people to help shout that out for me. And you want to get arc readers as well, who are people who get to read your book in advance. And then um, in return for getting a free book in advance, they try to upload a review for you. And I mean, you can't force anybody to, but most of them are really awesome and they do. And yeah, so then you immediately start getting like this flood of reviews and it's super exciting. That's awesome. Do you have plans for any future books? I do. So I actually, when I was writing um, the first book, The Dark King and the Eternal Dance, um, the whole concept was a villain. It was what if the villain of the typical villain of this fairy tale was the hero. And so I like, I remember I had three immediate ideas. I kind of went wild with that and like have a whole spinoff series. So my second book I published is part of that. And I'm currently working on book three, which is all part of the same series. And I do have more planned for the future. Yeah. Very cool. Um, just a little shout out. Um, Alicia's book is available through the county library system. So just want to make sure we have that in there. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're very proud of our coworkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Go so read their very, books. Yeah. <laughs> it was very exciting to see it on the bookshelf. I didn't know it was happening. Mm-hmm. And my coworker was actually checking in some books. And the first one in the series, Camille's book, um, The Beast and the Enchantress, came in. And I was like, that's my, and he's like, isn't this a part of your anthology? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so like, I took pictures and like texted it to all of the girls in our group. Actually, it was on Facebook. But like, I messaged everybody in the group. And they were like, oh, my gosh, my book is in your library. <laughs> That's so fantastic. Um, Yeah. If you don't know, that is like the best feeling in the world to see your art out there. It really is. So, yeah, that's I'm excited for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So what has been the hardest part of writing a book? There's lots of different hard parts. Um, Marketing is definitely a hard thing um, when you're all just self-publishing is rough because you're like everything, right? You do the edit, you do all your editing, you find your cover artist, you have to do all the things on your own, which is very exciting. Um, And then you have to do all the marketing. And like I said, when I first started, I had a team of people, which made it really awesome. Um, What's really hard is to like, do it myself. Now I have to get my own team of people and do all that myself and do a buttload of research to do all that. Um, Also, it's really hard to receive negative reviews. I don't know a single author who doesn't have a hard time with that. Um, Yeah, some people just don't even read reviews, but it also is really rewarding to read those super positive reviews, so. What's been like the most rewarding part? Like besides reading the really good reviews, what else (laughs) has been rewarding? (laughs) Um, So definitely what I didn't expect Um, Like I said, everybody does talk about all of the horrible reviews you're going to get. But what I didn't expect is, like, people to suddenly message me and be, like, super excited about my book and, like, just, like, gush about it. I had no idea people would randomly message me and gush about my book. And, like, this one girl, like, was messaging me, and she was one of my art readers, and she got really excited when she read. I wrote a blog about how I got started. She's like, you did Harry Potter fanfic? And she, like, got super excited and told me how they had made, like, she needed to know what house I was in and um, I told her like maybe Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff and she's like 
you're a Ravenpuff? And she, like, <laughs> had made this, like, decal, and she, like, emailed it to me, and I totally made a, a hoodie from her. So that was amazing. Um, and just... Just there's been so many wonderful people online and connecting with other authors. And I had no idea I would make friends online until I started publishing. That was a surprise and really delightful. That's awesome. Very See? cool. Connecting people all over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else about your books or about you that you want our listeners to know about? Just that. Uh, don't let anything um, you're struggling with hold you back from doing your creating your dreams um being dyslexic like i said i didn't think i would i never imagined i would write a book um but it's totally possible and uh, my friend cammy who helped me she would always say like it's easy you can do it and before that i never had anybody tell me that trying to be successful doing anything artistic was easy and possible and so i just want everybody to know that like you can do Whatever your dream is, you can do it. Um, it's possible. Uh, you just have to put in the effort and find um, find those people to help guide you so you can know the steps you can take as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, Alicia. Yeah, it's been a delight. We are here with our next author, Blake. Blake, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Blake Castleman. I'm a sub, customer service specialist sub. Uh, for the county library. Awesome. And do you want to tell us about what you've done? Sure. Um, I'm primarily a screenwriter. I have a, a, a number of short films that I wrote, and I have my second feature uh, film that I wrote and produced coming out um, early part of next year. Um, I have, uh, I'm also a, a graphic novel writer. I have a, a graphic novel that is available through Amazon and barnesandnoble.com called Devil's Triangle. And I also have uh, a number of short story credits to my, to my resume. Um, I also edited a anthology a few years ago. It's called Heroic Tales of the Extraordinary. And, um, not only did I edit the anthology, but one of my short stories appear in that as well. That's a very cool and a very diverse group of works. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to become, I'm hoping to publish my first novel next year. So oh, very cool. that's, that's what is hopefully down the pipeline. Um, screenwriting is wild. I, I tried it once. Um, <laughs> um, I had a hard time working with, so I was working with some friends who had this concept, this idea, and I tried to get as much information as I could. They weren't writers and they're like, would you write the screenplay? And I was like, I'll try. Could not. My, my one friend, great, great communication would tell me yes, no. His friend, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And screenwriting really is probably the most collaborative form of writing. Um, and it's also unique in that the writer at a certain point has very little um, creative input mm-hmm. into where the screenplay goes once mm-hmm. they're finished with it. Unless, of course, you're a writer director, mm-hmm. which I think puts a lot of people in that position because they don't want to give up the creative aspect of what they've written. Um, Screenwriting is 
wonderful through the process of where it's you, the writer. Mm -hmm. You're basically directing the film in your head and you're basically making all the creative decisions once you're writing the screenplay. But once other people come in for that collaborative film process um, and you're getting notes from someone who's acting as the producer or acting as the director or even other, you know, important jobs that are involved with making a film. Mm -hmm. And and once you are kind of dealing with the with the budgetary limitations of a film, mm -hmm. then it gets a lot more complicated. Yes. And then when it's time to make the film, you have to completely let it go because it becomes primarily the director's project at that point. And the creative decision-making basically transfers from the writer to the director, cinematographer, actors, even the costume and hair and makeup people mm -hmm. and prop masters. Their decision-making is basically from your script. Right. Your script is a blueprint for mm -hmm. them, but they are making decisions that you have no input in. Yeah, that could be hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired you to get started with this? Um, I, when I was a kid, I, I started talking late in life. Uh, according to my mother, I didn't start talking until I was four years old. Oh, wow. And because of that, I started reading later, too, because of the developmental process. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really wasn't much for a reader. I, you know, I, I enjoyed being read to. Mm -hmm. um, I had my mother and my and an aunt who was basically a second mother, because she had no kids. Um, they were the ones who taught me how to read. But instead of reading myself, I liked being read to. And um, it wasn't until I was about seven years old that I got into comic books. And primarily Marvel comic books. I discovered Spider-Man and Captain America and the Fantastic Four, Iron Man. I mean, these are characters that people are familiar with, very familiar with now through yeah. the movies. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, back then, um, people weren't as familiar with, with these characters. And I discovered comic books, and that's what got me into reading. And then, uh, but at school, it was, it was a struggle. I was always in the low reading group. I was always one of the kids that just would rather do anything else but read. When I was in second grade, and this is around the time that I discovered comic books, I was put into a third and second grade split. I don't know if they do that anymore in schools. Uh, they do it occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, but not very often. Yeah. yeah. So I was in this position where as far as reading groups – and where, you know, my peers in the classroom, I had kids a year older than me. And I realized that I needed to catch up with these kids. And so I started to apply myself with reading, discovering the comic books and reading those things really helped me accelerate that process. Skip ahead to the third grade and I had completely turned things around I loved to read. I was looking for um, not only comic books, but novels to read at that point. And I elevated myself to the top reading group. And so once I got into reading, 
then I started realizing, hey, you know, people write these things and people write comic books. People write the movies and TV shows I liked. And so I started writing my very own versions of the stuff I liked. I started mm-hmm. writing and drawing comic books. Mm-hmm. I started writing short stories. Who was in the short stories? Well, people like Tarzan and Godzilla and King Kong, because those are the things I love to watch. And so even though I had no idea that these were copyrighted properties, <laughs> I wanted to tell my own versions of the stories of these pro- properties, these characters that I loved. And so that's what started me on the path to writing. And then later on, I discovered, oh, there's a format to writing comic books. Oh, there's a format to screenwriting. Oh, there's a format to writing a novel or short story. And so I started, when I was a teenager, I started learning about, you know, how to write a novel, how to write a comic book, how to write a short story. And and uh, I did it through... Um, books that taught you how to do these things so cool yeah no it's amazing to me how much people discount things like comic books and graphic novels as not being quote unquote real reading but they're so great at getting kids into reading Mm -hmm. yeah they're engaging stories and the pictures help reinforce the words that are there it's so fantastic i love it no without comic books i would not be someone who became a lover of reading nor would I have been someone who pursued writing without mm-hmm. comic books first. And so throughout my life, whenever there's been, I've run into the argument, oh, you know, kids shouldn't be reading comic books. And my mother, I found out later in my life, my mother, during this time when I was seven, eight, nine years old, she had friends and neighbors come to her saying, why are you letting your kids read comic books? And my mom's response, bless her heart, was, well, at least he's reading. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> But I don't think even my mother understood the, com- the, the impact mm-hmm. that comic books had on me. And so I've, I'm also a teacher. And I'm, I've always been, again, uh, to kind of the judgment of, of my coworkers, I've always been one who's been proactive in, hey, if the kid doesn't like to read novels, even novels written at their level, let's try comic books. Let's try graphic mm-hmm. novels. And I've seen I've seen it make a difference. Yeah, yeah, we see that too at the library. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, parents will come in. They're like, "Oh, my kid will only read comic books." I'm like, "Well, actually, they're reading graphic novels." But um, <laughs> did you know that it actually works more of the brain, and as they progress, they're actually their reading levels go higher than even kids that just read the novels. Mm-hmm. And parents are like, "Hmm." I'm like, okay. (laughs) No, and I I teach at an elementary school. I teach reading Mm -hmm. to K through six. And sometimes we meet in our groups. I'll be taking the kids individually because we test their fluency. And so we'll tell the other kids in the group, bring a book. And a lot of them bring the graphic novels and they're engaged Mm -hmm. while they're reading. And And I teach at a Title I school. And so a lot of these kids are kids that would be considered ESL, and they are learning how to become better readers and better speakers in English through these comic books and graphic novels that are available through the school library. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad the school has those available to these kids. That's amazing. As you talk, you touched a little bit on the creative process when you were talking about the different um, 
uh, I, I don't even know what to call it, like the different forms of writing that you do. Yeah, there's formatting to yeah. different from the comic book to the screenplay to the novel or short story. Right. There's there's different um, there's an expectation right. with the formatting. Right. And you said you you started looking into those things when you were a teenager, right? Yes. Yeah. So. Yes, I actually discovered the screenplay by accident. I was uh, in my high school library looking for something, looking for a book. And the book had to do with um, a singer that I liked uh, talking about their life and career. And so I guess I was in the media section yeah. of the library and, and I noticed this and I was going through the, through the shelf. I found this book called Screenplay by an author named Sid Field. And what I didn't know at the time was Sid Field's screenplay how-to book was the first and still, in my opinion, one of the best books about teaching the craft and the, and the art and the business of screenwriting. And so that's what started me. I, I, had, I, I knew that there was a special way to write a film. I knew it was mm-hmm. called a screenplay. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea what one looked like. I had no idea how to even start that. So it was great finding this book, which I immediately checked out and started, you know, learning the process. And so, um, and I conveniently forgot to take the book back to the library. <laughs> I think I paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I think to graduate, I had to. I had to pay for it. I had to pay for yeah. it. So. So what's the process of getting a screenplay sold to be made into a film? It's a process that takes a lot of time because not only do you have to become the type of screenplay writer that will catch the attention of the decision makers, be it uh, the people who read for producers, the people who read for agents, um, people who read for the major contests. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be good from that aspect, but you also have to be, and this is, this was hard for me, and I believe it's hard for a lot of writers. We tend to be, um, not really outgoing. Mm-hmm. So you, but you have to learn how to network. You have to learn how to talk yourself up. So selling a screenplay, um, Back in the 80s and 90s, you heard stories about people writing screenplays on what they call spec. Mm-hmm. A spec screenplay is something that you write. It's your original idea. It's your concept. But it's a concept that captures uh, the attention of a studio or, or an executive or a major production company. And they like your script so much they want to turn it into a movie and you know back then some of these spec screenplays were earning a million dollars or more for these screenwriters wow. so these people were taking these kind of high concepts back then and writing the screenplays and putting themselves in the right place at the right time and they're putting their scripts in front of the right people who are looking for whatever you had written and they were becoming instant millionaires it's not really that case anymore this they're not to say people do on occasion sell spec screenplays but that's if you sell your spec screenplay not only and sell it for a lot of money that's kind of uh the as far as the odds you're kind of putting yourself in 
you know, you might as well try and win the lottery. <laughs> but what you do is you still write screenplays on spec, but you write them as a sample of your writing skills. You write them as a calling card and you send it out to the contest. You send it out to um, decision makers. You can't just send it out unsolicited. Um, if you send a hard copy of a screenplay out unsolicited, it'll immediately go in the trash. If you send out, if you send a screenplay with the screenplay, or if you send out an email with the screenplay, your email will get immediately deleted. For legal reasons, none of the people in the business will read your stuff. For fear that they develop something down the road that's very similar to the screenplay you sent out, and suddenly that opens the door for lawsuits, which they don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm, yeah. So what you do is you, you send out like a novelist will do with an agent or an editor. You okay. send out a query letter. Mm. Introduce yourself, and then you try and sell your screenplay in as little room as possible. And then if they like what they read, they might ask for the logline. What's a logline? The logline is a one-two-sentence summary of what your screenplay is. Or they might ask for a one-page. Well, what's a one-page? Well, that's a longer summary. Or they might ask for an outline, and that can be three pages to 10 or 12 pages. It can't be too long. Usually three to five pages is kind yeah. of the sweet mm -hmm. spot for an outline. And then... Whatever they ask for, you send it to them, and then they'll ask for the script. You send them the script. What they're looking at is they're looking at what your strengths are as a writer. Are you a good dialogue writer? Are you good at, you know, how is your three-act structure? How is your description? How are you as a writer within the confines of the screenplay format? And then, you know, you might blow them away, and, and suddenly your script turns into a spec cell, or they might say, we want to hire you to rewrite this script, or we have this idea. We feel like you would be the, 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 the correct writer to do this. Mm -hmm. And so basically your screenplay that you're selling them is primarily a way to get a job writing for a project that they have. They're trying to get off the ground or they're trying to get it started. And so that's where you can start making money as a screenwriter. Um, the other way to do it, there's a handful of contests that, and, and this, this gets a little bit more into an area where I'm not completely comfortable trying to talk people into doing this because to enter a contest, you have to spend money. Mm -hmm. You're going mm -hmm. to be spending anywhere from a 50 to 75 to a hundred dollars or more to enter these contests. And so basically what you're doing is you're paying the contest money for the chance to be a finalist, a semifinalist, quarterfinalist in this contest. Now, what a lot of managers and agents who work with screenwriters do is they use these contests as kind of a vetting process. And so they see the list of scripts that are the finalists, mm -hmm. quarterfinalists, semifinalists, and they get that information from the contest and then they go to the writer and say, let me see your script. Again, they're looking at your strength as a writer. They're looking at how well you can write within the screenwriting um, format. Yeah. But again, it's a risky venture, especially if you're someone, you know, people are trying to break into writing to make money. Well, yeah. 
if you do the contest route, you have to spend money. You have to spend right. money. Yeah. You're also dealing with the people who are the judges for the contest. What are their uh, qualifications? I don't know. Mm-hmm. What are what do they like in a screenplay? You don't know. Mm-hmm. At least if you go to an agent or a company, a production company or an executive at a studio, you can look at the films they've recently so you know. put out. Yeah. So you know what mm-hmm. they're interested in. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at who the agent represents. That mm-hmm. information is available online. Right. But if you do a contest, you're dealing with a lot more of a gray area yeah. as far as who's going to say, yeah, this is the best script or this is one of the best scripts. And, you know, you're even dealing with what's their mood that day. Yeah. Because they're not making a business decision like the producers and the studio executives are. They're just fulfilling this obligation that they've that they've signed up for signed up mm-hmm. for yeah. with this contest <laughs> uh-huh. to judge their screenplays that are that are entered. So. So for marketing your work, is that something you leave up to like the studios to promote the movies? Do you do any like promotion yourself for them? Well, I, I work in, in, in the independent realm. Uh-huh. Um, I've learned a lot about how Hollywood works, how the studios work. But as far as my, my personal experience, um, outside of a screenplay doing well in the Nicole Fellowship, which is one of the top screenwriting contests in the country, and having people come to me saying, let me read your script, and having it basically end at that. You know, it was an honor to have Hollywood agents and managers come to me saying, hey, I saw that you did well in the screenplay contest. Send me your script. But in my realm where I work, I work in the Utah local independent Mm -hmm. film. And the people that you work with and you yourself, you are the people that do the marketing. If you can find distribution, just the, the distributor will do some marketing as well because they've made an investment in your film. Mm-hmm. But even so, as an independent filmmaker, an independent producer, the marketing's on your shoulders. And that's been one of the harder parts for me to learn. The writing part, even the producing a film part, it has its challenges, but compared to marketing, that's the that's the easy part. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, I didn't, my college experience was first film school, and then I got a master's degree in education mm-hmm. because, you know, film school is great. I met a lot of people. I learned a lot. I felt more prepared to, to enter that realm of filmmaking and screenwriting. But beyond that, it's not, it's not the most useful degree as far mm-hmm. as finding work. Yeah. So then yeah. it was time to move on. It was time to move on and, and get a, a master's degree. I decided on education saying, well, if this doesn't work out, I can teach. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been kind of a balance, but I knew nothing about marketing when I got into the, to the filmmaking side of it. And so that's something I've had to learn and continue to learn. And it's been a challenge. Tell us real quick about what you have coming up that's going to be released. Okay, so I have a, a an independent horror film called Limbo, and the film is finished. 
we we did a Kickstarter campaign for it back in 2022. We met our goal. Uh, we shot the film, and then uh, going into the post production process, it took longer to do. Um, we did get it finished to the point to where we started showing it to people. Then we got we started getting some feedback. Some things were wrong with the film. And so I'm working with the director right now to uh, recut some scenes, uh, to add a couple scenes, to kind of give clarification to some things, and to also uh, do some what they call pickup shots, mm-hmm. which is where you take a scene and you shoot a little something here or there, again, to clarify, to expand. like. Like writing a novel or a short story, you really need feedback from other people. You can't yeah. you can't make a good film. You can't make a good comic book in the process. You know, in a bubble. You know, you have to you have to let other people look at it and give you their honest feedback. So, so Limbo's coming out next year, and uh, then I'm right now I'm rewriting a script that's based on a short story that I published in 2018 with an anthology uh, called Weird Wasatch, weird stories that take place in Utah. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I've, uh, it's, been a, it's been a challenging process to take a short story and expand it into a feature-length screenplay. But I'm very close to, to getting to the point to where we can take that and do another Kickstarter campaign. It's kind of a one-location horror film. And um, then we'll... Uh, We'll see where that takes us. So that's that's down the pipeline for next year. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming and talking oh, to us. You're welcome. It was a very interesting. I think you're the only screenwriter that we had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that's, that's why we're asking all the questions. Sure. Like. sure. No. no, I love talking about screenwriting. I've, uh, I've run a, a screenwriting critique group for 14 years called Utah Film Writers. Uh, since the pandemic, we've met... Uh, virtually mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's 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 a lot of fun to talk about screenwriting the process of screenwriting and film in particular so thank you for having me next in line we have jared yay yep. jared would you like to tell our listeners about yourself well so i have uh worked here for the county for Oh, 17 years now. <laughs> a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've been writing for coming up on seven of that. So, you know, a lot of changes since I started working at the library. Mm-hmm. Started out half-time shelver, still doing my undergrad. And now I'm, you know, married, got two kids, a lot of books out. Moved up from entry level to librarian. So, you know, and hey, I get paid to run Dungeons and Dragons games every week. So, you yes. know, I got the best job ever. <laughs> if, if any of you guys are on our Libertera server, Jared is on there from time to time. You can yep. see him. As and, am I. And the in-person ones get crazy. <laughs> I, could, I could go on for hours about the shenanigans my, my long-term players have done. I believe that. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get into it. Tell us about what you've written. So I have just published my ninth novel, um, they're all published under um, my initials, you know, J.M. Angel Weirden. I, I thought about changing the Angel Weirden because it's like, on the one hand, it's memorable. On the other mm-hmm. hand, no one can spell it. 
but the memorable one out because you know there's too many books by people with similar sounding names i mean i saw one last week it's like last name was parker i forget the, the lady's first name and she had picked the exact same title as one of robert parker's novels i'm like oh, not oh, the no. best marketing strategy there oh. always check your title see what else is published with the same title there's only so many titles you can have they're going to be repeats yes it's true Let's see. So yeah, my, my main series, that's when I just published the newest novel in. It's six books so far. There's at least a dozen planned before I change main characters and just keep going because there's too many stories. Um, that one is, I call it blue collar sci-fi because the main character starts off just working crappy mines and on a heavy gravity world and then escapes that and becomes a starship mechanic. And then just keeps kind of failing upward and being involuntarily given more responsibility. <laughs> At this point in the story, she is now a Commodore because she happened to have an armed vessel when war broke out and she got drafted. All right, then. So, <laughs> yeah. Also written other stuff, you know, steampunk, which that one's basically accidentally sentient um spy robot with a mm, companion robot body versus steampunk batman <laughs> right then. Yeah. i know a lot of people would love that because they love steampunk <laughs> oh, yeah. well and then i think my favorite was basically a western take on sailor moon but combined with uh, fragments of dutch mythology and history nice i'm that here one for was anything a lot of fun sailor to write. Moon. right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what inspired you to start writing books you know, I also don't remember because it's been so long. Like my first, the first story I remember writing involved galactic mercenary penguins. That one was actually a comic. I think I was in second grade, so it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I've been penguins. writing stories the whole time. Just you know, never really stopped. So I kind of have to. I can't stop writing. <laughs> it's like tattoos. Once you, once you start, you can't stop. <laughs> It's true. Mm-hmm. I can speak to that. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. We may have just been talking about tattoos. Yeah, sorry. Maybe. Yeah. Sorry, you missed that conversation. Yeah. We did not record it. Well, I was just thinking Pokemon. <laughs> Got to catch them all. Yeah. Yes, Pokemon. <laughs> um, so can you talk a little bit about your creative writing process? So I'm more on the pantsing side of things, which is, you know, I don't have a firm outline. I have an idea of where things are going to go. But what I focus on is creating the characters and then just letting them go and do what they're going to do. Like uh, one of my other standalone novels was supposed to be superhero action with a little bit of romance. Now, it's full-blown romance with a bit of superhero stuff that I'm in (laughs) because the characters insisted on turning a bank robbery into a meet-cute in chapter one. Yes! (laughs) Amazing. And... (laughs) I just never got back control from the characters, and then it just went on, and now it's a romance novel. <laughs> so, yeah, it. just, you know, create the basic setting, you know, mm-hmm. the basic setup, put the characters in there and let them go, nice. and then make their lives miserable. <laughs> <laughs> we need the drama, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially in a romance novel. Like, it's well, all drama. They, they kind of earn their happy the ending. Go. Yeah, I, I am. I'm a big fan of Bollywood films because it's a very famous quote from one of the bigger ones. It's uh, um, remember, my friends, if the ending isn't happy, it isn't the end yet. So I like my happy endings, but they got to earn it. Yes. <laughs> um. So tell us about your process for publishing. I am at the same time very lazy about it and very focused. If that makes sense, probably doesn't. But uh, 
Um, there's a, a blog I really like called Mad Genius Club. It's run by a bunch of different authors, usually a core group of like four ladies. A few others will come in and out. And they'll just go over a lot of the business side of, of writing as well as, you know, common tips and, and things like that. And so I've just got all of their different blog posts bookmarked about publishing. And so I just use that basically as a template, go down, make sure I got all of my steps done properly. And then just use that, you know, f- finish the book, get it to the editor, I get it back from her, do all the edits, do one last check for the things that sneak through and some still fall through because they always do. And then go through that and just publish it. I don't really – I don't bother with pre-sales and a lot of others, authors do and there are some good arguments to do so. I'm just not that patient. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as it's finished, I just put it up in ebook and paperback on, on Amazon and call it good. So kind of on that topic, how do you market your work? Are you still kind of on like the, eh, we'll see what happens kind of side? I've tried advertising on Amazon a few times, and so far it hasn't worked for me. I do have some author friends who do really well at it. Like this one guy, I still don't actually know what his day job is. I just know he's like whatever his field is in, in science, he's like got dozens of patents, but he doesn't talk about his day job. And so for him, he's actually to the point where his self-published stuff is in like four or five languages and it's bestsellers all over the place. So he heavily uses advertising mainly on Facebook and Amazon. Me, I, you know, we'll, we'll do sales every once in a while with a bunch of other authors and put it up in all of our blogs at once. And honestly, a lot of it's just word of mouth. And the biggest one for any author is the best advertising for your previous book is your next book. Just keep publishing to have something new, yeah. especially for series. But it works, works for other things, too. Keeps the people hooked. They want more. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of which, do you have plans for future works? Oh, so many plans. So little time. <laughs> so like I said, I, I just put out book six of my main series. And then I need to get book seven out. I hope by the end of winter. Because it's not really a cliffhanger. But it's starting to wrap up the first main arc. I mean, mm-hmm. book one starts with her escaping her crappy home world, and her parents basically get themselves jailed to do it. Book six ends with her rescuing her parents while overthrowing a, a whole government. That's a whole that's, that's a big part of her, you know, just being forced into bigger and bigger roles of uh, responsibility. And so, yeah, she basically toppled the entire government in order to rescue her parents. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of that arc. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm going to get that out. And then I'm right now writing the last um, battle scene of an unrelated science fiction book that is intentionally a little silly because the basic setup is you had aliens invade, they were kicking our butt, we stole their technology to make giant stompy robots, but because it's stolen technology doesn't work right, so all the pilots are teen girls because it just works better with, with their brain chemistry. Nice. But there's also, you know, um, uplifted, sentient wolves and foxes and horses and rabbits but the book takes place, the, the aliens are gone. We, we defeated them. The moment they were gone, the wolves and foxes declared war on everybody else. <laughs> and so it's this t- teenage girl that just, just wanted to be a dancer and her, you know, two-foot-tall rabbit um, mechanic in a 60-foot-tall robot fighting other giant robots with wolves inside. And she <laughs> fights like she's dancing. So it's awesome. very silly, but still lots of, you know, fighting and combat and stuff. Dance battles. That's what I like. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. No. No, it's a fun one. Right? Yeah, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I love stuff like that. Um, 
It reminds me, I went to this attraction in Denver last week called Meow Wolf. And it it's surreal. It's it, You like depart to another dimension, world kind of thing. I think you would like it. It oh, is yeah. a little overstimulating though. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, they do have some less intense rooms. <laughs> huh? that, that nice. I highly recommend it. I okay. think you might find a lot of inspiration. <laughs> so what is the hardest part about writing your books? Commas. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, that's not actually that far wrong. I, I, I've lucked out in that my, my uh, editor is a writer herself, but she's also literally a rocket scientist. Like she worked for NASA and before she became a writer. And so She's really good at all that technical stuff, and this is look at the, the first few books my wife actually edited, and she does have some experience with that. The last few was this, this new lady. Um, yeah, I can tell some from some of the comments that she's like, "You should know this by now." You know, we been talking about this for the last three books. <laughs> I am slowly getting better. I'm also not using quite so many British spellings. That one, I have no idea why. I just apparently picked up the British spellings for some word somewhere. But um, that's okay. I've done the same thing. I'm just not writing books, so nobody knows except for me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why that UK library has picked up your series. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For a while there, like Australia was my, my biggest single market besides mm-hmm. America, like especially yeah. per capita. Cause it, was, it was in absolute mm-hmm. terms um, the second highest. Why? I have no idea. Which is not the best position to be in, but it's like there's always trade-offs, you know, with – Self-publishing, I can publish whatever I want as soon as I want to, mm-hmm. but I also don't have any of that support in terms of you know marketing and editing. Well, right. you know, editing is not such a big deal. I can just pay someone to do that. That's not right. a problem. Yeah. But marketing, marketing. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess apart from that, in the actual writing process is sometimes the endings because mm-hmm. I know what the ending's supposed to be and I get towards the end, I start getting a little impatient. And well, like th- this last book, I actually need to go back in and add an, uh, a single line at the end of the book, which will be Morgan Black will return in Dagger in the Black, mm-hmm. because some of the reviews, they seem to think book six is the last book. I'm like, no, there's a lot more to come. <laughs> Please don't stop looking for my books. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the, the tendency to try and wrap up things a little too quickly is hard to avoid sometimes. What would you say is the most rewarding part about the whole experience? Um, honestly, hearing that people are liking it, I mean, it's like the one way I phrase it is, you know, a book isn't a book until someone's reading it. Up to that point, it's just taxidermy dead tree with, you know, tattoos. <laughs> that's the theme of today for any tattoos. Um, I love it. Books are the ultimate tattoos. Yep. <laughs> Very metal. It is. But yeah, if people don't read it, it doesn't matter how good or bad it is. And so hearing that people have liked it is one of the best things because like I write because I have to, but I also really write to entertain. It's like, yeah, there's some themes in there and some messages and the characters grow. But, you know, the biggest thing is this world is is kind of a crappy place. There, there's all kinds of nastiness and bad things. And I can't change a lot of that, but I can make their lives better for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do. That escapism, right? Yeah, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, if, sure, I I can't help them pay their mortgage, but I can make them feel better and be a little energized to go out and work and and pay their mortgage themselves. Right. So that's something I can do. Well, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for coming and talking to us. It was awesome. And everybody should go find your books on Amazon and read them. The first one Mm -hmm. is The Long Black. I mean, if you can spell my last name, you'll find them. 
plus a few <laughs> textbooks from my cousin in, in Holland. <laughs> um, we will have all the lists of all the authors we have on and their books. Okay. So, yep. And the notes. No. In the show notes. Yep. Show notes. Well, Thank sounds, you. That sounds yeah. good. Right. Well, Thank thanks, Jerry. Thank it's a pleasure. <laughs> We've got Jessica with us here. Jessica, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi. Um, I'm Jessica Williams. Um, I've got a small business. I run an Etsy shop. It's called Jessica Sketches. Um, and I sell illustrations. All right. Do you want to tell us uh, about your illustrations? Sure. Um, so I uh, I sell um, stickers and prints and greeting cards and some other stuff. Um I use um, alcohol ink for my illustrations. They are all hand-drawn. Um, and I would describe my style as cute and sometimes angsty. <laughs> it's a great combination. Right? <laughs> Isn't that most of us? <laughs> what inspired you to get started? Like, not just with your Etsy shop, but also just, like, illustration in general? Uh, I always wanted to uh, be an artist as a career um, I did my undergrad in art. I started in illustration and then kind of moved into like an art history direction because it was more interesting for me. Um, but I always wanted to um, make some kind of creative something with my life. So this is kind of how I've gone about it. Nice. Um, can you talk about your creative process? Sure. Um, so um, I usually start with like either a funny expression or something, some kind of picture of something I want to draw in my head. Um, and I'll sketch it out. Um, sketching is probably the most of what I do artistically. Um, and that takes the longest to do uh, just because I have a lot of different, I try a lot of different variations of things, how exactly I want it to look. Um, and honestly, most of my sketches are pretty trash, <laughs> uh, but the final product is not always what, uh, I start with. So, um, sketching it out first, um, and then I'll take whatever design I land on and trace it onto, uh, marker paper. So I can use any kind of paper for sketching. It's usually not very high quality. Um, but the marker paper that I trace it onto is a much finer, smoother paper that's better for ink. Um, so I'll trace it onto that and then color it. Um, and then, uh, and then the design is done. So. Very cool. Is there anywhere in particular you get your ideas from? Just whatever sparks you in the moment or funny happenstances? Funny things I come across on the internet, usually. Um, it could be, you know, a catchphrase or, um, something that's popular to say. Um, sometimes it's things that I overhear or just, yeah, mostly stuff on the internet, <laughs> <laughs> puns i love a good pun yes. puns are great Heck yeah. i know it's the like the lowest form of comedy but i don't care i'm all about puns i'm with I, you i don't think it's low um <laughs> everyone loves okay. a good pun some yes. would it's argue true. that yes. it is yes. but yeah I, I feel like all librarians and teachers love a good pun mm -hmm. it's just a yeah. it's just yeah. an easy it's an easy form of humor yeah. and it gets me every time mm-hmm so what's the like process like for getting like stickers done or like prints? How do you go about doing that? Um, so once my design um, on the fancy marker paper, once that's done, um, I'll scan it into the computer. Um, and I work with a partner who knows a lot more uh, graphic design than I do. 
So um, she'll take uh, my scanned image and kind of clean it up, clear out the background, do like very, very minor color touch-ups, that kind of thing. And then she'll send it to me in like a JPEG or a whatever form I need. And then I also work with a sticker production company. They're called Sticker App. Um, and they make really high quality uh, vinyl stickers, die cut stickers, and like the they do like the holographic style or like a shiny or a sparkle or they have different uh, options for um, production. So I'll send it to them and then they send me a little bunch of them and then I sell them that way. So I like to have all of my stock in my office ready to go just so that I can personalize and I touch everything that gets mailed out so that I know that it's what I want it to be. Nice. Awesome. That's my favorite part about shopping on Etsy is the little personal touches that sellers do. I love personal touches. (laughs) As someone who also sells on Etsy, it's like fun to like write a hand note or like whatever and know like someone's excited to get Mm -hmm. that. I still need to order from your shop, Sarah. (laughs) I won't say no. Money's nice. (laughs) It's going to happen. What is your most popular, I don't know, illustration or product? Like do people like just like die for the stickers? Because it is stickers are the most popular for sure. <laughs> um, my most popular design is um, my dragon fruit sticker. Mm. Um, it's it's a it's a dragon that has like a dragon fruit seed belly, so it's like a pun on itself. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I love it. <laughs> it's cute. I love it. I've got a dragon fruit is my favorite fruit, so I and I'm so glad that so many other people like it too. Oh, I love that. It's a a little lucky fruit belly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. How do you market your illustrations or your Etsy shop? I market on social media um, like any good millennial would. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've got got just like an Instagram page, a Facebook page. Um, I'm working on advertising more like out in the real world, like at markets Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, so I've been trying to uh, sell in person more often than just on the internet, and that's been really, really successful um, so far. Um, it's been it's been a pleasure to do, and I'm planning on doing some more. So um, I I really feel like people like the tangible yeah. of it, and to meet the artist yes. and talk. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you have plans for like any like future like stickers or prints or markets coming up? I have an ideas list a mile long. Uh, It's just a matter of finding the time to actually sit down and do it. Um, But yeah, yeah, I have so many ideas and I want to get to all of them, but I don't always have time. I feel that. Is there one that you're like, when I do have the time, I got to get this one done? Uh, the first one that comes to mind, see, and if I say it, that means I have to make it happen. Um, (laughs) it was, it was this idea I had for, um, uh, kind of like a grim reaper sticker and like this like fabulous sparkly pink dress. And it was going to say glam reaper. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it'll actually work. I started to sketch it and didn't get very far. So we'll see if I circle back to it. I love it. I love it. Yes. What is the hardest part of what you do? The hardest part is when I spend a lot of time on an idea or a sketch and at the end of my drawing time, it's horrible. So just like taking a lot of time to try to make something work and it's just not working. Mm -hmm. um, That's always kind of discouraging, Uh, but usually it works out okay. Sometimes it does. I don't know. Half and half. Sometimes my ideas are only funny to me. 
And sometimes <laughs> they're just like not what I want. And if it's not exactly what I want, then I just scrap it and move on. Mm-hmm. So. What do you think is like the most rewarding part about doing it? That's an easy one. Um, the best part of what I do is when I see something that I have made make someone else smile. Um, this happens more um, when I'm like selling uh, in person at markets and sometimes people just nudge their friend and be like, hey, look at that. That's so funny. <laughs> or or like, hey, come look at this. And it's just, oh, it makes my heart glow. It's so nice. It's so nice to see something that I made make someone else happy. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking thank to us. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. We will for sure list your Etsy shop in our show notes so people can mm-hmm. find you. And yeah. I will be looking for the Grim Reaper in the sparkly outfit. It's not made yet. It's not I, made yet. Well, I'm, I'm waiting. No, no pressure. I swear. Okay. Thanks. 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 And welcome back for our last guest. We have Mary with us. Mary, would you like to tell us about yourself? Yes, I'm a fantasy writer and poet. So I, my poetry book, Kiro's Girl, is about the contracts between dark and light. But my main focus is my Tales of Tessagonia series. So it's a fairy tale novella series, all set in the same world. And one fun thing is there's, you know, if you're familiar with your, your fairies and your dwarves, they all take place in the role of muses. So it kind of ties the different hmm. stories together. It's very cool. Cool. Kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know, since you write poetry, if you ever heard of a crown poem. So yeah. for those that don't know, you you start the first part of it, and then the last line of that first part is the beginning of the second part. And then you go through seven mm-hmm. times around, I believe. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I'm into poetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our <Yeah>. resident <laughs> poetry expert. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so what inspired you to start writing? I have... Um, eight siblings so i'm the middle of nine. Oh wow and i'm an introvert so my big escape um, growing up was in books and so you know wanting to create that for other people and so i've been writing ever since i was little you go back to my old school pages and it's like what do you want to be when you grow up and i'd be like a dancer and an author a scientist <laughs> and an author and it was always author and so now I work at the library and I'm an author. Yes. Awesome. It's possibly the best combination ever. Yes. <laughs> What's your creative process like? So for my poetry, I very much have to be inspired. So it's very off and on. I can go years without writing a poem or I can write like 50 in one month. But for my um, fiction, the great thing about having a fairy tale series is there's so many fairy tales to pull off of. So I've gotten into a cycle of you know, writing one and waiting on one and a, just finding new tales to incorporate into my stories. And I also have a um, Briar Book Lane is my website, which I run with my sister Elizabeth. And it is really very fairy tale focused. We um, review books that are other fairy tale retellings and everything. And so she also, you know, working on her on that really inspired me to get back into my own fairy tales and get my stuff published. Awesome. Um. So speaking of publishing, what's what's the process like for you? Poetry was a nightmare to format myself. I was lucky with um, my poetry book. I actually initially got an indie publisher, so I didn't have to do it myself. But then they got bought out by another publisher. 
And I'm like, well, I got the rights back. I want it out there. And so I learned how to self-publish it. But yeah, it, it was a challenge. I will probably do it again. <laughs> it made it a lot easier to decide with my own novellas to go ahead and self-publish those as well. And I'm so starting to get into a cycle of um, every four months, I'm publishing a new novella in my series. So, you know, I create my own covers in Canva, you know, get lots of feedback, and then I have to go on to um, KDP for Kindle and get all the files uploaded and do all the back stuff. But it really gets easier with time and can be a good process. Very cool. Um, so I assume, since you're self-published, that you also do all of the marketing for your own work. Yes. That's something that I'm still learning. <laughs> it's always a challenge. Uh, one of my best things I did was a Goodreads giveaway. Got oh. a lot of um, new readers and people interested in views on my first book. So I may do that again in the future. I also do have a newsletter, which you can find on my website. And I use social media I used to use Twitter, but I haven't really since it's become X'd. <laughs> so you can mostly find me on Facebook. Do you have plans for future work since you've got this like novella series that you do? Do you have like other fairy tales you're working on? Yes. I have actually ideas for 10 more books in the series. So the first three are out. I have rough drafts of book four, and I'm working on writing book five already at the moment. Yeah, nice. so hopefully every four months. So book four should come out in February if I stay on track. Man, I feel like I'm slacking. Everybody's like, oh, I have all these things. I've got these plans and outlines. I'm like, I got some journals. <laughs> <laughs> do you have plans for more like poetry books too? I do. I would like to um, put together a more fantasy-based poetry book because it seems to be fitting with my newer brand. Mm -hmm. So maybe sometime next year I look for that too. I, I actually really love the title of your poetry book. Um, I took one art history class, and it's probably the only word I remember for art history. So I was like, I know that. That's awesome. awesome. I usually have to explain it. And yeah. at the beginning of the book, I do have a pronunciation yeah. and the definition. Yeah. Now, you, now you have to tell us what it is, Lee. Kiriskiro? Yeah, what does yeah. that mean for... Probably I'm Mika sure, and myself and a lot I'm of other sure people. I'm sure there's plenty of people <laughs> who are listening that are like, I don't, I don't know what that is, actually. Um, it's... <laughs> It's basically the same thing. It's about um, looking into the um, light and dark. Um, there were a couple of artists that that was basically what like inspired them. So all their paintings are basically like um, experiments with light and darkness and the comparison between the two, which I love in general and which is great for fairy tales, too, <laughs> and fantasy and, and romance, you know. <laughs> Could go on and on, you know. <laughs> so what has been the hardest part of, of writing and publishing? Definitely the marketing and just trying to find my particular audience. It's like, mm -hmm. I know it's out there. It's just a matter of finding that. But it's so satisfying when you do find somebody that becomes a regular reader. It's like what we say in the library. You don't know until someone tells you, right? So, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> Word of mouth is probably the greatest marketing ever. It's true. Yeah. And if you read a book you love, go review it on Goodreads or Amazon or something. <laughs> yeah. What would be the most rewarding part you would say about like the whole process? Um, in addition to getting those reviews and you know finding those people, also just that act of creation. I love that initial world building and just getting into a story and coming up with those ideas. And it's just such a spark. It's so exciting. 
very cool. It's like pieces of you outside of your body. And then like it's just out in the universe, right? Yeah. I love it too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. We will have your books, novellas, poetry in our show notes so people can find it. Um, And yeah. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us. It's been a long episode, <laughs> but hopefully good. And what yeah, a great way to celebrate the end of the year. It's true. Yes, yes. Go find some new stuff to read or mm-hmm. look at or watch. Or purchase. Or purchase. Mm-hmm. We covered a lot today. Yeah. <laughs> Support local. Support your library staff. Yeah. Because yeah. we love our communities. Um, If you would like to listen to more episodes of our podcast, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you want to send us an email, let us know what you think. You can do that. We are at shelvespodcast at slclibrary.org. That's it for today. We'll be back in the new year. With a very fun episode. Yep. We're going to talk about reader's choice. Yes. That's a cool program. We do twice every single year. <laughs> wow. What? And we may or may not talk about potatoes because we're bringing it back. That's right. <laughs> potatoes are coming back. They're people. coming back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you next month. All right. See you on the flip side. Bye.